a lot of things that we need to pray for us urge. I want to ask if you would to pray with me while I pray, and let's just all pray together that the Lord would, would intervene and touch these. God, we just want to come tell you thank you, God, for being so incredibly good. God, in spite of all things, you're always good. Lord, your, your grace is always grace. Your mercy is always mercy. And it's all never-ending, but God, hard times are hard times, and sickness is sickness, and Lord, broken lives are broken lives. And Father, you, you hear the stories, you hear the requests, God, you, you hear the requests of somebody not only 80, God, not only living on the, on the backside of life, but has, has denied you for all these years, God, but the thief on the cross in his dying breath said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that's all it took, God. It didn't take... 50 years of service, it didn't take being a, a preacher or a Sunday school teacher, an evangelist, a singer in the choir. It didn't take anything special. All it took was, Lord, save me. Lord God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would intervene there. I pray that you would, that you would cast your spirit out onto them and, and there'd be a draw there. God, I pray for a surgery at 6.30 in the morning. I pray, God, that you begin to prepare for it now, God. I, I pray especially, Lord, for, well, for her that you'd give her grace and peace and let her sleep tonight god i pray that the doctors would get a good night's rest father i pray that they'd be refreshed tomorrow that you could use them and do a, a mighty work in this complicated surgery god i pray that your healing touch fall upon her and god i well i can't imagine what it'd be like to lose a 15 year old son lord the horror that's there but i know your grace can hold us up when we can't stand on our own god and you can carry us when we can't walk and i pray grace for that family, God, I, I pray that you just reach down and touch them, Lord, for Mr. Norm's brother, God. There's just, there, there's so many. Lord, we thank you for the report on Miss Pat's eye, God. We've been praying that it wouldn't be a retina detached and that she wouldn't be losing vision, God. And that prayer is already answered, Lord, that they say it's a cataract, Lord. So I know you're still hearing and answering prayers, and we know you're still God and still on the throne. We know that you've heard all these prayer requests, and you can do all things, Father. So we lift them all to you and ask if you would just reach down and touch each one according to their need. God, I pray you'd be with us here tonight, Lord, as we look into your word and into this study. I pray, God, that you'd give us something from your word, something fresh, something new, something that we could take out, God, to just give us maybe even a little new unction of excitement, God, to, to go out and tell the world about Jesus. We love you, God. You've been good to us. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys want to be turning tonight, we'll pick up in Acts chapter 13 where we've been Tim was talking about stories a little bit ago. <laughs> Any of you ever have anything in, in your life It's like a, a story, something that happened to you? Maybe it was something exciting. Maybe it was something awesome. Maybe it was something funny. But it's a story that you've told, and you've told it time and time again. You know what I'm talking about? Or, or, or to really, to really, I think about Miss Massengale, Robin's grandmom. She's um, 97? Saturday. So we're going to Saturday for birthday party. She'll be, she'll be 98. Crazy, man. She remembers stories from kindergarten. I never seen her like She tells stories. I, she don't forget nothing. Her mind's sharp and clear and better than mine. But a lot of the stories she tells more than once. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, and I don't mean like tell it back to back when you're there. I mean like I've heard the story before. Mr. Massengill is the same way. Pop had those stories and you go and, you know, those stories have been told. If the family gets together and you're sitting around and stories go, start getting told, you know this one's coming. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But because the story is so genuine and, and it's so good, you find yourself listening to it again. Y'all know the kind of stories I'm talking about now? And, and, and you said that. I mean, you could tell the story yourself. But 
yet because there's so much to it, you, you want to hear the story again. Well, that, that's kind of what tonight's message is about here in this part of the writing. It's kind of what, what the letter is about. We're looking at a part of the story tonight that everybody knows. There, there's not a person in here as a child of God that could not complete the story of what Paul is telling in this synagogue here with the Jews there. But I was thinking about something. Actually, I was just thinking about it as we were singing and thinking about stories and how they're told over and over. This is one of the first times this story would have been told. I mean, the book of Acts is written about 60 A.D. So the oldest story in here is only 60 years after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So inside of 60 years, the apostle Paul is telling this story. And we have a record of Peter telling the story of Christ a little bit and telling some things and we have different stories of Paul telling things, but this is the first time on the missionary journey. This is the first time missionaries have ever gone out. Remember, to separate me out, Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Paul, and they went out, and now they've gone on this missionary journey. This is the first ever missionary journey. The very first missionaries out of the church. It's the first time they've ever gone out, and here they are at Antioch in Pisidia, so, and, and they've gone into the synagogue there. This is the first time that this story has ever been told in a church setting. This is the first time that as a missionary that he's gone in and told. Now, when we think about it, the story's over 2,000 years old. We've heard it a lot of times, but I just I was thinking about it as we were singing and thinking about stories and, and this being one that all honestly that, that everybody could finish yourself, but yet it's a really exciting study. It's one I've been looking forward to all day just because of what it's about. So the Apostle Paul, they're, they're there at Antioch in Pisidia. <laughs> We looked last week at how when he comes into the city, and it really started here, he goes into the synagogue first to establish some grounds because at least the Jews there do believe in, in the one true God. So there is some connection. They have some knowledge of this man named Jesus Christ, no matter what they've heard about him. So that at least there's an opportunity to have some common ground that there's a believer in God to go in. In verse number 15, the apostle Paul was asked to speak. We looked at the fact that a man like Paul comes in the synagogue. He's going to be asked to speak because of his popularity and, and just who he is. I mean, being well known. So they call him up and ask him to, to speak. In verse number, that's in verse number 15. And he begins to remind all of the Jews present there about all the things that God had done for him. If we were all a people and we had all been together like right now, every one of us has a story. Every one of us has a story about something God's done for us, about some things, not something, but some things that God has done for us. Every one of us in here has been bailed out, lifted out, burdened out. We, God, God has done things, but so far as the nation of Israel, they were together. God did that as a nation. God as a group, and he reminds them of all the things that God did for them and how even with God doing everything for them, they decided... They wanted a king, and God gave them what they asked for and saw, but then David comes along, and verse number 25, he takes them back to John the Baptist and says, as John fulfilled his course, he said, whom, whom think ye that I am? I'm not he, but behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I'm not worthy to lose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sin. Then in verse number 27, he says, they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets. He said, if they just knew the prophets, if they had known the voices of the prophets, they would have known Jesus. 
But they didn't know the voices of the prophets which are read. Every Sabbath they have fulfilled them in condemning them. He says those at Jerusalem are the ones that fulfilled the prophet. The prophets were written. He'd be denied, rejected, and all about the crucifixion and all that Isaiah said. They're the ones that fulfilled the prophet. But we're going to pick up in verse number 28. And they found no cause of death in him. Yet they desired Pilate that he should be slain. When they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. who are as witnesses unto the people. We declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that he raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. <laughs> as concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served, <clears throat> David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep, was laid unto his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. I want to try to cover. <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> that span of verses, if, if we can, tonight, beginning there, verse 28, they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired that, that Pilate, that, that he should be slain. Paul says it's obvious that he's done nothing wrong. It's obvious that they had nothing real to accuse Jesus of. He's committed no crime. I mean, even the ones who hated him couldn't find the cause of death, yet they, they desire Pilate to crucify him. So here we have this worldly ruler and Pilate, and even Pilate could see that there's no cause for death. I mean, he is a, a, a Roman officer. He is, he is a leader. He is a, a Gentile. He knows nothing about the things of God. But, but even he could see that there's no fault in him. In Luke 20, 23, 4, Pilate said unto the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. But all that did was made the Jewish leaders worse, just made them as matter or word. Angrier, angrier, does that sound a little more English, acceptable? Made them a little more ticked off, how about that? Verse number five, it says, they were the more fierce. That's how you say it. They wouldn't matter. They were the more fierce, saying, he stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. Boy, that's really a hate crime right there that deserves to be death. He stirreth up the people. That's why we want him killed. That's Pilate. That's why we want you to crucify him because he's going around Jerusalem and he's stirring up the people. Verse number 6, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also is Jerusalem at the time. Pilate thought he found a way out. He said, man, I can't deal with this man. This man, they want me to kill this man. I can't find any fault in him, nothing wrong. Hey, I'm going to put it off on Herod. You already know it, but we'll see it again in a minute anyway. Him and Herod were enemies. They didn't like each other. He said, I'll just dump it off on that chump over there. I'm, I'm going to get out from under this. Now, Herod, on the other hand, Herod's pretty excited about it. I mean, he, he's looking forward to, to meeting this Jesus. He's heard a lot about him. He's heard about the miracles, about the great things he's done. So he's pretty excited to meet Jesus. It says in Luke 23, on down in verse 8, it says that when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. for He was desirous to see him of a long season. That means I've been wanting to meet this man a long time. 
I've been looking forward to meeting this man, Jesus, for a long time. I've heard so many things about him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done. All he wanted Jesus to do was impress him. He wasn't looking for anything special for Jesus. He wanted Jesus to do some miracle, something that would wow him. He, he wanted something. He wanted what, what he wanted. So he questioned Jesus with many words. He begins to ask him all these things. You can almost see where this went. This became a mockery because Jesus had said that he answered him nothing. He wouldn't talk to him. So, you know, once again, you see another prophecy being fulfilled as a sheep led dumb to the slaughter, yet he openeth not his mouth. And that's what you've got here, a sheep led to the slaughter. That's what's going on. He's asking him questions. Jesus won't even talk to him. So I'm sure it, based on what happens next here in these, I'm sure it becomes somewhat of a mockery. Well, you're not even going to talk to me. You're supposed to be this miracle worker, and you can't even open your mouth. And, and, and so it says in verse 10 that the chief priest and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him. So that's why I say all this had to become a mockery because he wouldn't talk back to Herod. Herod was excited, but he's past the excitement now because he's not getting what he wants. It says they mocked him, they raid him in a gorgeous robe, and they sent him again to Pilate. The same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together for before they were at enmity between themselves. Don't say it. Yanceology, just looking into it. I feel like the only reason they became some friends right there is because they both needed somebody. They, they were in a, they're in a bad spot right here. They, they can interview this Jesus. They know he ain't done nothing wrong. These people want him killed because he's been stirring up the people and he comes up. They're, they're both in a bad spot and they didn't have anybody else. So they, it kind of gave them a, a reason to correlate with one another to, to talk and kind of put it in and put the buck off. You know, sometimes... Especially if, you, if you're thinking about doing something, we were all young, so y'all bear with me. It's okay. When you're thinking about doing something you know you ain't supposed to do, you're on the edge of about doing it anyway, but if you can just get somebody else to go with you, it's game on, right? Go ahead. Y'all are young. I ain't in this by myself. Some of you are still younger, but, but if you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? If you can just get somebody else to partner with you, if you can just get somebody else to talk to, to side up with you, then it's okay. That's how I kind of see these two. Boy, I, just, I need somebody else right here to see what needs to be done to, to keep peace in the region. So <coughs> I, I got all lost. Where was I at? I don't even know what verse I was on. I, I was having a good time getting lost anyway. Oh, yeah, 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 about the same day when they were made friends. So, so verse number 13 Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, it says, so, so Pilate brings everybody together. I mean, anybody that's anybody, anybody that's got something to say, anybody that's a who's who, anybody that has any importance at all, he brings them all together. And in verse number 12, it, it seems like they probably discussed it because he told them, he said, you've brought this man unto me as one that perverted people. Behold, I have examined him before you and found no fault in this man touching those things Whereof you accuse him? He said, look, I've examined him for what you said. I didn't examine him on my behalf. I've taken the things that you're accusing him of, and I've examined him based on those things, and I find no fault in him. So the charge that they've brought is that this man claims to be the Son of God. John 19, 7, the Jews answered, said that we have a law. By our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. So they're saying based on that, that's why he needs to die, because he says he's the son of God. Pilate couldn't care less about that. Pilate's not a Jew. 
Pilate doesn't observe their God. He didn't care anything about these things. He said there, there's no other reason. Pilate's not bound by their traditions. So even if he said he was the son of God, it really means nothing to Pilate. So they changed their accusations. In verse number 12, from thenceforth Pilate sought to, to release him. But now the Jews, they cried out saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. So back to our text. Our text says that Paul told those in the synagogue, he's telling the story, that they found no cause of death in him, yet desired Pilate that he should be slain. Verse 29, when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Boy, it kind of fast-forwarded right there. They fulfilled everything in life. God has sent his only begotten son into the world. The Messiah has come. Prophecy has been fulfilled. The Christ has been sent. Prophecy was fulfilled in the coming of the Christ. Now prophecy has been fulfilled in, in the crucifixion of the Christ and in all how Isaiah said it would happen. I mean, he suffered one of the, one of the cruelest, most painful deaths that any man could ever suffer. One, 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 of, one of the vilest things, but it's not just, not just the cruelty not just the pain of the spikes and, and the spitting and the stabbing and the beard plucking and the heat hitting and the beating and the, and the cat of nine tails, but it's the mockery of all of it. It's the shame. It says that he bore our shame. He didn't just bear our pain. He bore our shame. He bore everything on the cross. Now, the Jews, they know all too well about him that hangeth on a tree is cursed because they've got their law, right? Deuteronomy 21, 23, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree. Now, remember, this is a really religious group. So they've got their religion and their law, so they know that he can't hang on the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. That thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So not only is he that's hanged on a tree cursed, but the corpse can't stay on the tree overnight. Plus, you got the Sabbath day coming up. You got this really spiritual group, right? You got this real religious group. The Sabbath coming up. They got to observe the things of the Sabbath. So they got to get this man down and get him in the ground. They got to bring this thing to a close. We finally got what we want. Pilate finally crucified him. Now, now we've got to we got to get him down and move on. So all throughout the Old Testament, we see the wickedness. We see the nation of Israel turn their back on God and oh, wish that we were just back in Egypt and. Oh, this man of bread from heaven, God supplies every single day. It's kind of like the birds get up in the morning and look and go, oh, this seed's all on the ground again. I'm so sick of this seed. That's what the people did. Oh, this manna on the ground. Oh, if we could just have some meat. Nothing was ever good enough. And they complained. They did wickedness against God. But right here, this, this is the climax of their wickedness. This is, about, this is as high as any man can get. This is, this is the top of their sin. They have crucified the one that they were waiting for they're living according to the law they're living according to the prophets they have them and the law and the prophet tells them about, about one that is to come and when the one they were looking for came they crucified him but he said he was going to rise again right so so they get to thinking wait a minute this this, this man said on the third day he'd he'd rise again we can't have that happen so they go to Pilate and they said, we need the tomb sealed. We need some guards. See, here's the deal. They're not worried about him raising from the dead because they don't believe him. They don't believe he's the son of God. They don't believe in what he says. What they're worried about is, is the, the disciples or somebody coming and stealing the body. 
they're, they're worried about some of his friends still in the body and making it look like he was risen. You got to understand how God uses the devil. You got to understand how God uses the devil's people. How many of you, God, listen, I, I know from, from being a business owner all those years, God can use the devil's people to pay my bills. I didn't just move houses for Christians. God, God, God used some people to have more money than sense to do a lot of things that we made money. God took the devil's people, he took Pilate and all that crowd, and what he did, they thought they were putting a seal on the tomb. They thought they were guarding the tomb to make sure nobody stole the body. But God allowed them to do it to make sure that everybody knows nobody stole that body. Does that make sense? Y'all know where I'm going with that? God used them to place the guard so that nobody could say to the stone got taken out and a bunch of people came and stole it. You had Roman guards there on post, and you had that big stone. So, so we know that the Word of God stands as authority to tell us that nobody came and stole it, that, that Jesus Christ rose himself up. So they carried and they, they, they put the, 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 the tomb in the front, and they, they put the guards there. But then Paul says, but that's not the end of the story. I mean, can't you imagine these people in this synagogue? Remember, we look, this is kind of off the beaten path. Guys from Jerusalem and from the mother church at Jerusalem or the mother synagogue there at Jerusalem. Guys like the Apostle Paul don't just come by this way every day. And I mean, here this guy is and he's talking. I imagine by now the religious leaders are probably ticked off. They're probably wondering where he's going. They're probably wondering how we're going to get this guy out of here. But, but the people that are hearing the truth, the people that are hearing the gospel, the people that are hearing about this Jesus, can't you just imagine them hanging on the edge of their seat? I mean, here's this man. He's the Messiah. He's the one that they've been looking for. They've been expecting him. And now Paul's telling you, he was here, and your leaders crucified him and put him up, and they buried him in a borrowed grave. And Paul's like, but that's not the end of the story. Verse number 30 says, God raised him from the dead. He says, he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. The tomb is not the end of the story. He says there's, there's so much more that that's just another prophecy fulfilled. Everything about it is all prophecy fulfillment. He says Jesus is alive and the evidence is overwhelming. That's what he tells them. Telling that church and the synagogue, just... We, we've heard it our whole lives, right? Everybody can finish your story yourself. But imagine these people. This is the first evangelist to ever go out of church. He's telling us for the first time, Jesus is alive and well. And the evidence is overwhelming. Verse 32, we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same of, unto us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus again, as is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Paul tells them that this is the same thing that, that you and I really ought to be excited about today. We are living in some exciting days. Troubles, yeah. Problems, yeah. Evil, yeah. Men devising wicked imaginations, yeah. Men calling evil good and good evil, yeah. So why is it exciting time? Because those are the signs of the time when Jesus is going to step out on the cloud and call home God's children. We, we are living on the edge of the days when the time is going to come. That There are some exciting times. What he says, remember all the prophets? Remember what the prophets told our forefathers? We're seeing it in reality. We're seeing the Son of God that, that the prophets told was coming. 
We saw him crucified exactly like Isaiah said it would be, and not one bone was broken. It was exactly like it was put out. He's raised from the dead. We are living in the time. We're living at a point when God has taken what looked like a tragedy and turned it into to a triumph. He has taken what the nation of Israel called rejection, and, and he's turned it into remission. He has taken death and turned it into life. He's taken darkness and turned it into light he's changed everything around he says look at the second psalm the messiah is to be the son of god that's what he's talking about in the second psalm he said and jesus is the son of god he is the second person of the godhead trinity we we know from all the scriptures he is self-existing he is without beginning and without end there was never a time when he started there'll be a never never be a time when he finishes that's why you can go ahead and run Jehovah's Witness off your porch? They think he is the first created being of God. He's not a created being. He is God in the flesh. He is uncreated. He is co-equal. He is co-eternal. The Word of God tells us, John chapter 1, verse 1, all the worlds were formed by the mouth of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus Christ. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Y'all see any gray areas in that? Does it look like Jesus came along as an afterthought or an after effect? I mean, the Bible's pretty self-explanatory that all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the, the life was the light of men. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Jesus is equal creator of all things. It says nothing is made without him. He came into the world. The world rejected him. But sin was defeated. The grave was conquered. And death has no sting. If nobody never accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, or if everybody accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, it would not change the facts. Jesus stepped down out of glory, came down and paid the price, conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave to offer a free gift to all of mankind. Somebody ought to get excited. I know you know the story, but it's the best story we've ever heard, right? So, so Jesus was the Son of God when he stepped down off of his throne from glory. He was the Son of God when he came forth out of Mary's womb. He, he was the Son of God as he walked the streets and dwelt among men. He was the Son of God when he hung up on that cruel old rugged cross. He was the Son of God when he was placed there in that borrowed tomb. He, he was the Son of God when he walked out of the grave on the third day. He was the Son of God when he ascended up into the heavens and said, Ye men of Galilee, the angel said, Why stand ye gazing this same Jesus? But he is the Son of God, still seated at the right hand of the Father. And he'll be the Son of God when he steps out on the cloud. Gabriel sounds the trumpet and all of God's children come forth. He is the Son of God, seated, waiting for us. Jesus stepped down off of his throne of glory to come to a work. But he did not step out of the realm of his deity. He has always been God. He has always the second person of the Godhead Trinity. Romans chapter 1, Paul said in verse number 3 concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, prophecy fulfillment. Verse number 4 says, declared to be the son of God with power. Not, not just the son of God. He's the son of God 
with power. You know, Jesus said, no man taketh my life. I lay it down freely. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to what? Somebody fill in the blanks. You know the story. Take it up again. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. No man takes his life. He is the Son of God with power according to the spirit of the holiness and by the resurrection from the dead. Back to our text, verse number 34. Not only does Paul say that he came forth from the grave, but he says he won't ever go back to the grave. Concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. So once again, Paul reminds him of the seed of David. Because remember, that was a big deal about the seed of David and the lineage and all that. That was a big deal about the promised Messiah and coming from Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Ephratah, though they'll be at least among the thousands. All those things had to be correct. He reminds them of all the things of the mercies of David from, from Isaiah chapter 55. And he says, Wherefore he saith in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. David had prophesied that the Lord would never see corruption. His body would never see corruption. He didn't say he'd never see a tomb. He said he'd never see corruption. It wasn't an embalming process that they had back then that kept people from seeing corruption. It wasn't the cloths and the, the ointments and things that they put on that, that kept them from seeing corruption. Everybody prior to Christ had been wrapped the same way, including David, and their bodies saw corruption. Their bodies had decayed. Everybody before Jesus. Now, so far as Jesus, all the way up, all the way up to the moment of death, men were allowed to abuse this body. You know that song about the only scars in heaven and the ones that hold you now? The scars in heaven, those are man-made scars on the body of the Son of God. So, so men were allowed to abuse that body when Jesus was alive. On the, on the other side of the cross, men were, were allowed to, to beat that body. Soldiers were allowed to whip that body. People on the, on the Via Della Rosa were allowed to spit on that body. Everybody standing around was allowed to, to mock that body. Isaiah prophesied that it all, all was going to happen exactly like it happened. But after the cross, no one was allowed to touch that body except for his friends. Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man, comes to take it down. Joseph of Arimathea, with the help of Nicodemus and the friends and the disciples, they take down the body of Jesus. They nurture the body of Jesus. They care for the body of Jesus. They, they wrap the body of Jesus in expensive linen because of Joseph of Arimathea. That's why you have a rich man's tomb. They had been hooned out and nobody had ever been laid in it, which fulfilled a prophecy that he was buried with the rich. He had on uh, 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 the spices and the... The, uh, the ointments, the things that they put on, just like the rich people would have had, continuing to, to fulfill prophecy. So you have that short time frame where his body was laid in there. Maybe, maybe Jesus vacated the body for a moment, although it says he went down to, to hell and led captivity captive. But, but Jesus did everything for a purpose. And that purpose was to conquer death. The purpose was to con conquer death. So that he could redeem somebody just like me. Somebody just like you. Offers eternal life. So David prophesied about all that. David foresaw that, that the Lord 
that his body would be incorruptible. He foresaw what, what we use a lot of times at funerals from 1 Corinthians 15, 42, where it was sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Da- David said years before the Messiah was ever born that the Lord's body would not see corruption. Verse 36, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep, was laid unto his fathers, and he saw corruption. He says, David did his job. David served his purpose well. He, he brought the people of Israel um, back to God. He, he brought them back to a place of worship. He conquered over all of the enemies in battle. He, he prepared items for the temple. He wasn't allowed to build it, but he bought and prepared items for the temple. He anointed his son as the heir to come along behind him and be king over Israel. But he says he died, and what's left of his body is still there. Now, everybody there in that synagogue knows very well who David was. They know all about the tomb of David. A lot of them have even been there before. That would have probably been a big trip to go to the tomb of David, you know, David of Israel. But they know exactly where it's at. They they know that, that he's not gone anywhere. So Paul says, I've told you the story. It says there in verse number 37, But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't enough just for the body of Jesus to escape decay. He had to escape death itself. So, so not only did Jesus not see corruption, but he conquered death. It's an important, it's a necessary piece. You understand these, these people are hearing this for the first time, right? Y'all remember back to where we started. This is an old story that you can finish, but it's the greatest story that's ever been told. It's the greatest story a man has ever heard. It's the story that changed my life, that changed yours. This is the story that made all things pass away. Behold, all things become new. This is the story that washed away all my sins, wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. This is the story. And this is one of the first times, it is the first time it's told as, by a missionary, as a missionary journey, that he's telling me, he says, but who, he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Israel rejected him, but God accepted him. Israel crucified him, but God raised him up. Paul says, you have the story. I've reminded you of the past. I've reminded you of all the things that that, that God has done and how God has dealt with his people. I've reminded you of all of the promises that was prophesied by all the prophets before about him coming. I've, I've reminded you about the promise of God that he would send the king and that king would be the Messiah. He would be the Christ, I have shown you that the Messiah has come and that the leaders of Israel have rejected him. He was born according to prophecy. He lived according to prophecy. He died according to prophecy, a crucified exactly according to prophecy. He was buried with the rich according to prophecy. He's risen from the grave according to prophecy. Paul is showing them everything, all that that was written that was going to happen, all of that he has fulfilled, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Man, that would have been a big deal. That, that, that would have been a big deal. They've never heard that before. They've never heard about forgiveness of sin before. They, they grew up under the law. They grew up under a strict, rigid set of rules, the law. The law condemns. The law says stoner. 
The law says there's no room for grace. The law says there's no room for mercy. This woman committed adultery. So did a man somewhere, but let's kill her. Let's let the man off the hook. The law says there is no exception. That's all they know is this rigid law, the condemnation of the law. Paul says, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. And by him all that believe are justified from Put that scripture up there. Where, give, give me verse number 39. By him that believe are justified from how many things? All of them. There's nothing that you have done. There's nothing that you are doing. There's nothing that you can do that cannot be justified by the, what this man Jesus has done. Couldn't be done by the law of Moses. Moses couldn't do it. The law you've been living by couldn't do it. But all can be done under this man, Jesus. The, the one that, that, that was crucified. The ones can, can you imagine who he's talking to here? I mean, we're inside of 60 years after the death, burial, resurrection. Not a doubt in my mind, some of them people may have been present at the crucifixion. Some of them people could have very well been there and said, crucify him. Some of them could have been part of it. Some of these leaders could have very well been a part of the Sanhedrin Council's meeting 60 years ago when they put him up. They could very well have been some of the leaders involved in, in what Paul is saying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. All things are forgivable through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what these people are hearing? Can you imagine the opportunity of, of a burden relief to understand that, that all of my sins can be forgiven? He says, what the law of Moses could not do, the blood of Jesus can do. Here's what it is. The law could not pardon you. All it can do is convict you. The law couldn't free you. All it could do was condemn you. The, the law could not ransom you. All it could do was charge you. The law could not set you free. All it could do was bind you. He says, but the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is sufficient for all things that you can do. He says, through this man, Jesus, we can be set free. And we know the word of God tells us that, that whom the Lord sets free is what? Free indeed. There are no chains that can, that can be put back on us. Listen, the devil can put hindrances on us. The devil can put problems around us. The devil tries to put chains on us. The devil tries to put problems in our lives. The devil tries to put things. And God allows him to do some of those things. Somebody say amen. God, allow, God allows some troubles and trials. And the devil puts things on it. But through all of them, do we not come out stronger? Do all of them, do, do we not come out changed? Do we not come out different? Do, do we not come out more equipped to help someone else somewhere down the road? Imagine the people sitting there that day. I, I just, the whole time I studied, and I thought, man, it's telling a story that everybody knows. It's, it's telling a story. There's nothing new. There's nothing new in that. There's nothing new in this teaching tonight. There's nothing new. You ain't heard a thousand times from a thousand different pulpits, which is a million times you've put them all together, right? You've heard it your whole life. Most of you grew up. You went to Sunday school. You heard it as children. You've heard that story your whole life. But it is the greatest story that's ever been told. And it's the only story that needs to be told. Inviting people to church, that ain't going to change them. Get, getting people in these doors, I'm sorry, it's not going to change them. There's nothing but the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing but the drawing of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ going to change men. 
Going to church didn't change me. I went to church my whole life. Going to church didn't change me. What about it, Tim? Doesn't change nothing, does it? Go to church whole life and play the part. We can act good, can't we? Know exactly how to act. I know how to act around church. I, I know how I don't have to act when I ain't at church. I know, I know how to play the part. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Going to church, don't get it. That story gets it. That's the story that changes the souls of men. That's the story that can change the world. That's the story that can change America. That's the story that can change this town. That is the story that can help us win our hometown one soul at a time. That's the story. So it doesn't matter how many times we've heard it. It doesn't matter how many times we've told it. If we want to change the world, that's the story we've got to tell. He came according to prophecy, lived according to prophecy, died according to prophecy, rose according to prophecy, and now all your sins can be washed away. It's up to you. Trust in him. Man, what a great story. I may back up and look at it again next week just because we can. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for the story. God, it is the story that truly changed my life. God, thank you for your long suffering. What I heard that story time and time and time again. Lord, I sat in a church every Sunday, and I listened to that story over and over. I heard it taught in Sunday school. I heard it preached, and I just continued to put things off. God, you're long-suffering. Put up with me for 23 years, God. You put up with me. And, and you let me walk away so many times. But you never closed the door where I couldn't come back. Thank you, Father, that your arm reached out and drew me back, God. You just kept reaching. God, thank you for the story. Not not just the story, but the truth of what the story is, that the Son of God stepped down out of heaven to come pay for my sin, to conquer my death, to give me life. The same can be said of everybody in this place and everybody out there in that world. Thank you, God, for loving us so much. We love you, God. You've been so good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.